0: Hey guys, so as far as I know, yes it is, so this is the second last chapter, so the second last episode of the Percy Jackson podcast, <sighs> not, I mean, the battle of the we have the last, last huh, the last Olympian after this. Sometimes I get confused between this and the Heroes of the Lampus series. Anyways, we should begin. There were too many goodbyes. The night was the first time I actually saw Camp Burial's shrouds used in bodies, and it was not something I wanted to see again. Among the dead, Lee Fletcher from the Apollo cabin had been drowned by a giant's club. He was wrapped in a golden shroud without any decoration. Son of Dionysus had gone down fighting, an enemy half-blood was wrapped in a deep purple shroud embroidered with grapevins. His name was Castor. I was ashamed that I would seen him around camp for three years and never even bothered to learn his name. He had been 17 years old. His twin brother, Pollux, tried to say a few words, but he choked up and just took the torch. He lit the funeral pyre in the middle of the amphitheater and within seconds, the row of shrouds was engulfed in fire, sending smoke and sparks up to the sky. We spent the next day treating the wounded, which was almost everybody. The satyrs and the dryads worked to repair the damage to the woods. At noon, the council of the cloven elders had an emergency meeting in their sacred grove. Three senior sages were there among Chiron, who was in wheelchair, uh, wheelchair form. His broken horse leg was still mending, so... He would be confined to the chair for a few months. The grove was full of satyrs and dryads and naiads up from the water. Hundreds of them, anxious to hear what would happen, Juniper and Bithynai stood by Grover's side. Silanus wanted to exile Grover immediately, but Chiron persuaded him to at least hear evidence first. So we told everyone what had happened in the crystal cavern and what Pan had said. Then several eyewitnesses from the battle described the weird sound Grover had made which drove the titan's army back underground. It was panic, insisted Juniper. Grover summoned the power of the wild god. Panic? I asked. Percy? Chiron explained. During the first war of the gods with the titans, Lord Pan set forth a horrible cry that scared the enemy's army. It is, it was his greatest power—a massive wave of fear that helped the gods win that day. The word "panic" is named after Pan, you see, and Grover used that power, calling it forth from within himself. Preposterous! Salinas bellowed. Sacrilege! Perhaps the wild god favored us with a blessing, or perhaps Grover's music was so awful it scared the enemy away. That. Wasn't it, sir? So? said. He sounded a lot calmer than I would have if I had been insulted like that. He let his spirit pass into all of us. We must act. Each of us must walk to renew the wild, to protect what's left of it. We must spread the word. Pan is dead. There is no one but us. After two thousand years of searching, this is what you would have had us believe? Silenus so cried never. We must continue the search. Exile the traitor. Some of the older satyrs muttered assent. A vote, Silence demanded. Who would believe this ridiculous young satyr anyway? I would, said a familiar voice. Everyone turned. Striding into the grove was Dionysus. He wore a formal black suit, so I almost didn't recognize him. A deep purple tie and violet dress shirt, his curly dark hair carefully combed. His eyes were bloodshot as usual, and his pudgy face was flushed, but he looked like he was suffering from grief more than wine withdrawal. The sages all stood respectfully, and bowed as he approached. Dionysus waved his hand and a new chair grew out from the ground next to Selenus as a throne made of grapevins. Dionysus sat down and crossed his legs, He snapped his fingers, and a satyr hurried forward with a plate of cheese and crackers and a Diet Coke. The god of wine looked around at the assembled crowd. Miss me? The satyrs fell over themselves, nodding and bowing. Oh, yes, oh, yes, very much so. But I did not miss this place, Taranasa snapped. I bear bad news, my friends, evil news. The minor gods are changing sides. Morpheus... Has gone over to the enemy, Hecate, Janus, Nemesis, as well. Zeus knows how many now. Thunder rumbled in the distance. Strike that, Dionysus said. Even Zeus doesn't know. Now, I want to hear Grover's story again from the top. Oh my lord, Selenus protested. It's just nonsense. Dionysus' eyes flared with purple rage. I have just learned that my son Castor is dead, Silenus. I am not in a good mood. You would do well to humor me. Silenus gulped and waved at Grover to start again. When Grover was done, Mr. D nodded. It sounds like just the sort of thing Pan would do. Grover is right. The search is tiresome. You must start thinking for yourselves. He turned to a satyr. Bring me some peeled grapes right away. Yes, sire! The satyr scrambled off. You must exile the traitor, Selenus insisted. I say no, that is my vote. I vote no as well, Karim put in. He and two other old satyrs raised their hands. Three to two, Selenus said. Ah, yes, Dionysus said. But unfortunately for you, a god's vote counts twice. As I voted against, we are tied. Selenus stood indignant. This is an outrage. The council cannot stand at an impasse. Then let it be dissolved, Mr. D said. I don't care. Selenus bowed stiffly, along with his two friends, and they left the grove. About twenty satyrs went with them. rest stood around, murmuring uncomfortably. Don't worry, Grover told them. We don't need a council to tell us what to do. We can figure it out ourselves. He told them again the words of Pan. How they must save the world a little at a time. He started dividing the satyrs into groups, which would go into national parks, which would, which ones would search out the last wild places, which ones would defend the parks in big cities. Well, Annabeth said to me, Grower seems to be growing up." This is so sweet. I mean, should not satyrs do this? We can all do that too. So. A little at a time. Later that afternoon, I found Tyson at the beach, talking to Briarys. Briarys was building a sand castle with about 50 of his hands. He wasn't really paying attention to it, but his hands had constructed a three-story compound with 45 walls, a moat, and a drawbridge. Tyson was drawing a map in the sand. Go left to the reef, he told Briarys. Straight down when you see the sunken ship. Then about one mile east past the moment graveyard, you will start to see fires burning. You're giving him direction to the forges, I asked. Tyson nodded. Briarys wants to help. He will teach Cyclopes ways we have forgotten, how to make better weapons and armor. I want to see Cyclopes, Briaries agreed. I don't want to be lonely anymore. I doubt you'll be lonely down there, I said. a little blissfully because I've never been to Poseidon's kingdom. They're gonna keep you really busy. Ryrie's face morphed into a happy expression. Busy sounds good. I only wish Tyson could go too. Tyson blushed. I need to stay here with my brother. You will do fine, Ryrie. Thank you. The hundred-handed one shook my hand about one hundred times. We will meet again, Percy. I know it. Then he gave Tyson a big octopus hug and waded out into the ocean. We watched until his enormous head disappeared under the waves. I clapped Tyson on the back. You helped him a lot. I only talked to him. You believed him. Without Briarys, we never would have taken down campaign." Tyson grinned. He throws good rocks. I laughed. Yeah, he throws some really good rocks. Come on, big guy, let's have dinner. It felt good to have a regular dinner at camp. Tyson sat with me at the Poseidon table. The sunset over Long Island sun was beautiful. Things went back to normal by a long shot, but when I went up to the brazier and scrapped a part of my meal into the flames as an offering to Poseidon, I felt like I really did have a lot to be grateful for. My friends and I were alive, the camp was safe. Kronos had suffered a setback, at least for a while. The only thing that bothered me was Nico, Hanging out of the shadows at the edge of the pavilion, he had been offered a place that Hermes Cabin, but even at the head table with Chiron, but he had refused. <clears throat> After dinner, the campers headed towards the campfire theatre. came Cabin promised an awesome sing-along to pick up our spirits, but Niko turned and disappeared in the woods and decided I'd better follow him. As I passed under the shadows of the trees, I realized how dark it was getting. I'd never been scared of the forest before, though I knew there were plenty of monsters. Still, I thought about yesterday's battle and I wondered if I'd ever be able to walk in these woods again without remembering the horror of so much fighting. I couldn't see Niko, but after a few minutes of walking, I saw a glow up ahead. At first, I thought Niko had lit a torch. As I got closer, I realized the glow was a ghost. The shimmering form of Bianca D'Angelo stood in the clearing, smiling at her brother. She had said something to him and touched his face. I tried to, then we missed They could turned and saw me, but he didn't look mad. Saying goodbye, he said hoarsely. We missed you at dinner, I said. Could have sat with me. No. Nico, you can't miss every meal. If you don't want to stay with armies. maybe you should just make an exception and put you in the big house. I've got plenty of rooms. I'm not staying, Percy. But but you can't just leave. It's too dangerous out there for a lone half blood. You need to train. I train with the dead. This camp isn't for me. There's a reason they didn't put a cabin. They didn't put a cabin to Hades here, Percy. He's not welcome any more than he is in Lumpus. I don't belong. I have to go. I wanted to argue, but part of me knows he was, nosy, was Rahi. I didn't like it, but Nico would have had to find his own dark way. I remembered in Pan's cave how the wild god had dressed each one of us individually. Except Nico. Where will you go? I asked. Right away, you have got lots of questions like who was my mother who paid for Bianca and me to go to school? Who was that lawyer guy that got us out of Lotus Casino? I know nothing about my past. I need to find out. Makes sense, I admit it, but I hope we don't have to be enemies. He lowered his gaze. I'm sorry I was a brat. I should have listened to you about Bianca. By the way, I fished something out of my pocket. Tyson found this while we were cleaning the cabin. Thought you might want it. I held out a lead figurine of Hades, the little mag- magic statue Nico had abandoned when he had fled camp last winter. Nico hesitated. I don't play with that game anymore. It's for kids. It's got 4,000 attack points. I coaxed. 5,000? Nico corrected me. But only if your opponent attacks first. I smiled. Maybe it's okay to still be a kid once in a while. I tossed him the statuette. Nika studied it in his palm for a few seconds, then slipped it into his pocket. Thanks. I put out my hand. He shook it reluctantly. His hand was as cold as eyes. I've got a lot of things to investigate, he said. Some of them, well, if I learn something useful, I'll let you know. I wasn't sure what he meant, but I nodded. Keep in touch, Nico. He turned and trudged off into the woods. The shadows seemed to bend towards him as he walked, like they were reaching out for his attention. A voice right behind me said, There goes a very troubled young man. I turned and found Dionysus standing there, still in his black suit. Walk with me, he said. Where to? I asked suspiciously, just to the campfire. He said, I was beginning to feel better, so I thought I would talk to you, with you a bit. You always manage to annoy me. Uh, thanks. We walked through the woods in silence. I noticed that Dionysus was treading on air, his polished black shoes hovering an inch above the ground. I guess he didn't want to get them dirty. We have had many betrayals, he said. Things are not looking good for Olympus. Yet you and Arab have saved this camp. I'm not sure I should thank you for that. It was a group effort. He shrugged, but regardless, I suppose it was mildly competent what you two did. I thought you should know. It wasn't a total loss. We reached the amphitheater and Dionysus pointed towards a campfire. Clarice was sitting shoulder to shoulder with a big Hispanic kid who was telling her a joke. It was Chris Rodriguez, the half-blood he'd gone and seen the labyrinth. I turned to Dionysus. You cured him? Madness is my specialty, it was quite simple. But you did something nice. Why? He raised an eyebrow. I am nice. I simply ooze niceness, poor Barry Johansson. Haven't you noticed? Perhaps I felt grieved by my son's death. Perhaps I thought this crisp boy deserved a second chance at any rate, as it seems to have improved Clarissa's mood. Why are you telling me this? The wine got sighed. Oh, Hades, fine. But remember, boy, that a kind act can sometimes be as powerful as a sword. As a mortal, I was never a great fighter or athlete or poet. I only made wine. The people in my village laughed at me. They said I would never amount to anything. Look at me now. Sometimes small things can become very large indeed. He left me alone to think about that. As I watched Clarice and Chris singing a stupid campfire song together, holding hands in the darkness where they thought nobody could see them, I had to smile. That was beautiful. I'm happy for Clarice. (sighs) Next Sunday, we're going to do the last chapter. Jeez, we haven't even got, I mean, I don't know if a lot of rocky relations, like this. <laughs> Never mind. It's going to be alright, I guess. We'll meet again next episode only on the Prissy Jackson podcast.